Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my diabetic jailbird co-host. <laughs> Alex Dandino. <laughs> right. This is Nicolas Cage month. We're almost at the end, and now we have hit maybe the most... This might be the biggest, most well-known Nicolas Cage movie of all time. This A masterpiece of high concept <laughs> turned prop. <laughs> uh, wow. This is Con Air. This movie is exceptional for many reasons. Again, like I said, one of the more brilliant high concept action movies of all time. Nicolas Cage really reinvented himself with this movie into kind of Long-haired action star diving from explosions. Uh, the cast of this movie in general, a phenomenal assemblage of actors, a lot of whom you wouldn't think would be in this movie. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I would say about Con Air is what I love about it is while it plays like parody of giant 80s and early 90s action movies, it, it is a masterful balancing act of being totally 100% in on the joke, but playing it deadly serious, whereas not to derail the whole uh, film. Well, what's interesting is you keep using this phrase, a uh, high-concept action film. That's really fascinating. I'm not sure I see it as high-concept as much as I see it as concept. Literally someone, <laughs> literally, someone in an elevator was like, did you ever think about a movie where maybe like a bunch of felons are on an airplane? Write it. Got it. Thank you. Like, that's literally the movie. No, see, I don't think this is the same as Boat Trip. I think this was a very clever. <laughs> I think this, I think, but that's what I, it's a brilliant high concept, right? Like, put felons on a plane uh, that they hijack flying away, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe that is, concept is just high up in the air, but this I, I'm going to stick right, with my statement. <laughs> this is right in the middle of his, this is like right after The Rock comes out, right before um, Face Off. So this is right in the middle of his action phase in the 90s where he becomes like the world's biggest action star for a while. Here we go. High concept. <laughs> Emphasis on a striking and easily communicable idea. If that does not describe <laughs> I, like I don't you... know what does. <laughs> Sorry, say but that. No, but, but this is what I mean, though. This is why this is a fun um, and slightly to-the-edge version of Nicolas Cage is because... In The Rock, he's still playing somewhat of a normal man. He's kind of the little the little nerd, right? Connery's the badass. Right. This one, he's like, fuck Connery. I'm going to be doing one-arm pull-ups through half of the movie. <laughs> now, see, this is interesting, too, because I think of all the movies we've watched uh, for Nicolas Cage Month, this might be his most subdued performance. Oh, by far. Like, he by might far. be the most normalized in this movie as the lead action star. That's like the fascinating well, is, thing yeah. is like the fascinating aspect of this movie is Nicolas Cage for being the person where things are blowing up around him in this movie. He is the fucking man. He is the star of the show. And it might be the most normal everyday Joe version of Nicolas Cage we've seen. But see, this is the movie that is the direct inversion of most Nicolas Cage movies, right? Whereas normally it's Nicolas Cage in a normal man's world. <laughs> Waiting to explode into madness. Right. This is Nicolas Cage being a normal man surrounded by madness. Wow. That is the a, outside. It's, that it's is the a exact inversion. Of so really what you're saying is, is this is about a normal person being inside a Nicolas Cage movie. This is like being. Yeah, exactly right. This is sort of like That's running through mean. a fun house of Nicolas Cage's like in like if you're like stuck in Nicolas Cage's brain. This is like a fun house of Nicolas Cage's head, and you're just if a normal guy. If we inceptioned guy. our way into Nicolas Cage's mind, this is what we would see. This is what it would I be. I believe. <laughs> it's just, I, I don't know. It's just such a fucking great, funny performance. I, I love Nicolas Cage in this movie. Uh, <laughs> so we good. start off. Nicolas Cage plays Cameron Poe. Cameron, Cameron Poe. You know what's funny on rewatching this? I hadn't seen it in years. I forgot the intro even existed. Oh, well, it's like a completely inconsequential. I forgot that we saw it's the fight. 
it's totally inconsequential. Like it's, but, but this is the thing. It's not because to me, when I watched it, right. And he drunkenly beats these guys up and kills a guy with a palm strike. Right. I was like, there's no fucking way he goes to jail. No, he's a white guy in the South. He's a white guy rapist or whatever, trying to get his wife. Not only that, he's a white guy veteran in the South. There's not a jury yeah. in the world that would convict him. I'm sorry. Like that, that that's the only thing I'm like, what is this alternate reality we live in where the South is somehow just? I don't understand what's going on. But that's on. what I mean. I think I had forgotten that that existed because it's so impossible to accept. Right. You know, like, they even arrested the guys in A, a Time to Kill. Yeah, exactly. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like, of about? all the things that happen in Alabama, this is the most unlikely of scenarios. Is a white... <laughs> A white man who's a former army ranger gets convicted of killing a guy. They'd fucking throw a ticker, throw him a ticker tape parade in Alabama. Exactly. They're about to try to murder him and maybe rape his pregnant wife. Yeah. About to give birth to another perfectly white southerner. There's no way he goes to jail. <laughs> uh, so I've forgotten that oh, tag God. scene's even on there. And then we cut to jail, which is so funny because... <laughs> I actually wrote down that they do this montage, which could be called books, uh, <laughs> books, muscles, and letters. <laughs> this is Nicolas Cage writing a letter back and forth to this daughter he's had who's in jail, who somehow is maybe four years old when we see her at the end of the movie, but can write letters. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, I have the world's slowest three-year-old. I don't think that's a thing. Well, not only but that, I did he write- gets a 10-year prison sentence while she's pregnant, so really she should be like almost- Oh, no, it was four years. He got four years. Really? I thought it was 10. I thought that's what they said. Maybe, uh, maybe it's 10. I don't fucking know. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> to be fair, Does, I, I I might have let some details slide as I just took in what this movie It's was. okay. So did I the, will say It's this, all right. Though. So did the Nicholas film. Cage, don't worry about it. Nicolas Cage is changed by prison, though. We learn early on. There's great visual storytelling that lets you know that Nicolas Cage has become more of a menace to society and maybe deserves those fucking stripes. Because what's he get? He gets a care package with a hostess snowball. Ah, uh, yes. Pure fucking sugar ball, right? What's the first thing he does? Gives it to his diabetic soon-to-be best friend. That is attempted murder, brother! Very uncool. Can't you just... don't give hostess snacks to us diabetics? You don't give it to Baby O. <laughs> Bubba- yeah. By the way, this movie, um, on no level, no one on this movie researched what diabetes is at all. No. Let me tell you as a diabetic, nothing in this movie. One, the guy's eating snowballs, and secondly, he's like jonesing. Yeah. Like, oh, I need my shot. I need that's my shot. That's not how that works. <laughs> that's just not how that Yeah, works. what is the deal there? Like, I mean, that's like the thing I love. That's one of the like, little details I love, love the most. I'm like, you know, I spend a lot of my time around Griffey, and I've never been driving and goes, oh, God, I need my shot. <sighs> Like you've yeah, never, no, you just get, you get maybe sweaty and you fall asleep and you die in your sleep. Come on, guys. <laughs> everyone knows that. That's the no, only part they got right is he was very sweaty the entire time. Yeah. I mean, far be it to me from, to take umbrage with science and Con Air, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so this is where we get to the, the setup, right? The highest of concepts. <laughs> so Cameron Poe's paroled yet for some reason they need to fly him. On a convict plane, not a free man's plane. No. Him and his his diabetic friend are put on this plane. And this is where we hit the phase of the movie that's just purely introductions, right? So first we meet John Cusack, who's this kind of smarter-than-you-are federal agent. But with everyone has a cool character tick, right? Right. His is the socks with sandals, leather sandals. Yeah, which is... Even though he's a federal, a U.S. marshal. But then we meet uh, Malloy, who's this little shitbag guy who parks his fancy car in a handicapped spot with a, a vanity plate called Ass Kicker. Right. And right away, I was like, this is just great character details. Yeah, like see, someone read an intro to screenwriting book, <laughs> and they gave every single person an easily definable trait. Yeah, give everyone an easily definable trait. Don't show, don't tell me. Show me what they are. And you're like, great, cool. This guy's a fucking weirdo hippie who likes to wear Birkenstock <laughs> still. And this guy's a guy who has ass kicker for a license plate. So clearly he's a douchebag. Like. There are incredible little visual ticks in this movie that all these characters have that you're like, you know, I don't need to know anything else about this person. There's literally every single character in this movie, other than Nicolas Cage, by the way, save for maybe his hair, has a visual tick that makes me go, oh, of course, that that's a bad guy or oh, that's a good guy. Right. 
But that's what I mean, right? Is is I said it as if they got an intro to screenwriting book, but I don't say that as a negative. Like to me, the the kind of quick little cues that let us know exactly which kind of like male archetype these guys are taking. Right, are right, great. of course. And then they start introducing the prisoners, and you're like, this is when this movie starts to fucking sing to me. Right, yeah. This is such an incredible fucking cast, right? Nicolas Cage and John Cusack alone is great. But they- Every fucking criminal actor they got is so fucking good in this movie. Yeah, Billy. It is maybe the most fun you could have with an ensemble cast in any movie ever. You got Billy Bedlam. Who's this? Act, who's a character actor who's been in like every fucking movie ever? By the way, I love that guy. His name's Nick Chinlin. He's like actually an amazing actor in a lot of shit. <laughs> but Billy Bedlam, you've got fucking Danny Diamond Ch- Dog. Diamond Dog, of course. God bless. You got fucking Ving Rhames again. I love Ving Rhames. But Ving Rhames comes in as Diamond Dog, who is a member of, by the way, the Black Gorillas. I'm like, just call them the Black Panthers. Why are we doing this? They're like. How do we make the Black Panther sound really racist and for white people? <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous decision. Um, they, uh, and then, uh, of course, the, 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 the star of the show, Johnny Malk, shows up as Cyrus the Virus. Oh. Oh. Okay. Here's the, I love Cyrus the Virus so much. I always have. I am surprised how much of a giant character this has been in my mind for so many years considering how subdued his performance is it's johnny malk man you don't it's it's a weird malkovich performance because it's not this kind of out there eccentric character right right he's very he's almost doing a Nicolas cage role now that i think about it right yeah very kind of subdued on the outside with this this roiling inner madness He's just like, it's always like, this is the thing that I love about John Malkovich is John Malkovich knows that he's, it's sort of the same. It's almost the exact same way Nicholas Cage is. He has this sort of exaggerated look to him. Like John, John Malkovich looks like he was drawn by like John Romita Jr. And then like <laughs> made, and then like made in real life. Comic joke. <laughs> but John Malkovich also knows that he can like explode. So he like saves those little moments, but he also his, it's his tone of voice. John Malkovich has his tone of voice that no matter what he says sounds menacing. It doesn't have to be anything like that guy sounds yeah. menacing in literally every movie. Even when he's a good guy, he sounds menacing. But see, I think that makes Cyrus work so much more because he is kind of this physically diminutive guy based on the rest of the cast. Right. But I think if he had to do this big kind of insane you know, like a Jared Leto version of the Joker, right? Where it's, you don't actually scare anyone, so you have to... Ah, ah. Right. I think that doesn't work. I like the fact that everyone who just meets him is kind of like, oh, fuck. I think like, they all know the legend and the myth of the virus. Right. It's the way he talks, too. Like, John Malkovich pronunciates every syllable of every word, so that's a yes. big part of his character in every movie. But particularly here, he sounds... Because they try to explain, like, Cyrus the Virus Grissom sounds like a, like... Oh, some like fucking dumb like serial killer redneck. But then they have like they explain his stats, and he's like, "Well, I was in co- well, he was in prison. He was busy. He got two doctorates." And you're like, "Okay, cool. So this is a well-spoken criminal. Got it. Thank you." Like, right? Well, by enunciating every syllable, right? It's, right, it's I'm how so you much know. <laughs> smarter than you that I hope you can understand. It's perfect. It's a perfect Johnny Malik impression, by the way. It's not. I haven't had a lot of time to workshop, so don't judge me. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's just a fucking good performance, man. It's he is a great captain of this fucking motley pirates crew in the air that it's we have perfect. assembled. Let not forget though, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, with a fucking real classic performance as pinball. <laughs> Dave Chappelle as pinball. Uh, uh, jo- D- Danny Trejo is Johnny Twenty Three, which by the way goes down as like my least favorite. Uh, Side, like, or is uh, he 22 and he's going to be 23? No, I think he's 23 and he's going for 24. Going to be 24, yeah. Which, by the way, is like Gross. the worst character nickname of all time. Like, like there's like. Sp- See, I think that's awesome, dude. But then they give him the tattoo where he puts a little rose on a vine, right? For every woman he's raped, and I'm like, not that obviously I condone that, but I'm like, that is fucking cool character. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's like it's that little character visual, but. 
You also they, know they're they like never miss with any character in this movie, save maybe Chappelle. They all are pretty much they have some kind of cool little cue right away. Oh, I mean, Chappelle's is for sure the fact that he's able to swallow kerosene and then cough it back up. That was pretty cool. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I, and he just lit a match on nothing. That is pretty cool. <laughs> that's his uh, that that's his character. That's his character cues. That's why the Cyrus plucked him out of obscurity. Right. And for a guy <laughs> whose nickname is Pinball, like all of these guys have nicknames that kind of uh, rank like their like M.O., you know? Right. Dave Chappelle's nickname is Pinball, but he's for sure an arsonist. Never comes up. Like, Pinball? No idea. <laughs> Pinball's just that like... His, that was his first hit. He lit a pinball machine fire <laughs> when he was a kid. Right. For See, stealing quarters. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. I would have... So, all these fucking guys are on a plane now on their way to, I think, Carson City. Is that what it's supposed to be going? Yeah. They're Carson on- City, they're going to land and add a couple more and let a couple off. Right. So they're on their way in this veritable powder keg of terrible people on one plane. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, this is some of the worst U.S. marshalling in history. It's like, you know what we should all do? <laughs> Put a fuck ton of terrible criminals on one plane. I'm sure nothing can go wrong because, as we all know, planes are completely safe at all times. Like, Well, also, their really cool idea, like, let's not have the guards just armed to the teeth. Yeah, no. No guns. God forbid. Like, why is anyone in the cage with the prisoners, right? They should all be in those little tiny cells. Yeah. Everyone. Like, that's the thing. We're led to believe that Malloy is this huge asshole because he arms his marshal by sliding the gun in his sock. And I'm like, yeah, you know what would have stopped this is if when John Malkovich and Chappelle start trying to open cages and shit, you could just blow them away. Yeah, or I like, yeah, where are like the tasers or a sword? Give him a sword. Give him a fighting chance. Also, I'm almost positive that the set for the plane might have been the same set as the Judge Dredd transport. Like, yeah, <laughs> like those. It is suspicious how close they all are, but really entertaining, no less. To again, find find to use a good set piece from one of my other favorite favorite films. But nevertheless, uh, so the plane takes off. These guys are. And like the plot begins, like they all like it, it's one of those great like uh, like Return of the Jedi moments where all like looking around at each other, duh, 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 duh. and then like all of like, <laughs> and they all start pulling things out of their mouths. <laughs> yeah, they all start pulling things out of their. Oh no, they have needles in their palms. Yeah, oh. they have needles in their palms, and then Dave Chappelle pulls like the kerosene and a match out of his mouth and apologizes to the guy who's essentially. Um, the stand-in for the guy from One Flew, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Chief. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> like, I didn't know this. Dave Chappelle apparently uh, improvised a lot of his lines for the movie. And I realized, like, I remember watching the scene. I was just like, sorry about this, big chief. And no hard feelings. And he starts saying all these horrible, like, <laughs> he lights the guy on fire. And it gets almost lost in the mix. because, oh, shit, that's the last of the Mohicans there. Like, I'm like... <laughs> Oh my god, that's an amazing that's an amazing Fucking improv Chappelle. bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a cool moment of just them taking the plane, right? It plays out like action fantasy stuff. Oh yeah. But this is where we're setting up Nick Cage's journey, right? Right. Nick Cage just wants to get question, home. Not a bad guy. Right. Well, they're they're even willing to let him off the plane at Carson City, right? Yeah. But we have to find a way to anchor Nicolas Cage. Because this is the thing. I watch this now for the first time as a dad. And I'm like, just get off the fucking plane. Right. Who are you kidding? And so the shackles around his wrist and ankles become chivalry and diabetes. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we're going to tie this man to the plane, right? Chivalry. Because he's trying to keep Johnny 23 and others maybe from raping and killing this prison guard that he had this small bond with. Right. All right. It's chivalrous. Sure. But your wife could be a widow and your daughter will be raised without a father more importantly Uh, also he's like yeah i can't trade a life for my own this is where we get the poe philosophy right Right. i can't trade a life for my own which i guess started after he murdered a bunch of people (laughs) in the military and in a bar parking lot yes uh after he was one of those moments where you laugh but you're like like this would be like an honest honest trailer or whatever right but you're like all right at bare minimum, I'll accept it, right? So the game is on. How is Nicolas Cage going to bring this plane down? Right. After... And yeah, it, it's fun. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was saying it's it's a fun way to play. And then what I think this movie does well is the times the plane land. This is when it gets really fun. Yeah. Because like, um, it's a game that is hard, right? Like the plane has to be brought down. 
Right. Right? So you would think the first thing you would do is Air Force One it, right? You would never land the plane. Right, yeah. This like constantly lands the plane. <laughs> that's the story that you would think would be the case, but they have to land it like – they land it like three – so the first time they do, which is like – Carson City, Lerner Airfield, and in the Las Vegas Strip. <laughs> right. So, But the first time they do, like they all dress up as marshals, and this is like one of my favorite cam- – like it's a cameo essentially, but it's one of my favorite bits in the movie – is when Garland Green gets loaded into the plane. And holy dude, this part is awesome. The Hannibal Lecter yeah. intro. So it's a Hannibal Lecter thing. You don't really realize who it is because again, if you if like think I I thought about going to the movie theater like if you didn't realize who it was going in, you'd probably be like, "What the fuck?" But the further you get in, like, holy shit, this is a fucking bad dude. And then finally they pull that guy's mask off and it's fucking Steve Buscemi. Which is just like the greatest reveal in a movie ever is that Steve, like they've built this guy up like, oh man, he killed like 37 people. He's a terrible guy. Oh my God. Finally, they pull his mask off and you're like, wait, it's Steve Buscemi? Steve Buscemi's the guy we've been scared of? Like, I will say this though. No one has ever visually looked more like a serial killer to me than Steve Buscemi. No one. No one at all. And I love though the whole he time. He tells you the story that he wore the little girl's hat head through three states. Yeah. I was like, I can visually imagine that perfectly. <laughs> I can absolutely imagine, like, where's that movie? Where's the movie that leads up to this? Like, because that's for sure a movie. We need a sequel. We need a sequel. What I love, though, is he's. <laughs> Steve Buscemi's serial killer character is so fed up with other serial killers that he just sits there the entire time. He goes, irony. <laughs> and I'm like, please, serve it up, it sir. It's. Pre- <laughs> His performance in this movie is so fucking it, – it, it plays as just this extra almost outside of. He's kind of sitting there as this devil on the plane of devils. Yeah. And they, they constantly are separating him from the group, right? They never set him up as kind of this arch bad guy like no. the final boss fight or Cyrus to cover his own ass unleashes the mangler. No. And Cage has to deal with him. It's just this really fun – extra level of criminality like he is the one guy in that entire plane who you're like may be the worst of the worst yeah but he but he's also the most likable and makes fun of all the other prisoners for our enjoyment yeah exactly <laughs> he's like he's like the parent in a room full of like seven-year-olds at a birthday party like he's like oh god i, I just i just want to get out of here like i'm so tired of this like the whole time making fun of everybody it's fantastic i Absolutely love the fact that Steve Buscemi's in this movie. So that's the first time they land. They land there, and right. then and it, there's this sandstorm. So they're they're shipping people out with masks and bringing others in. Right. They get rid of their tracking device. Uh, this has this is where we introduce some more characters, though. Right now we have Swamp Thing. Yeah. This is the new guy, Great and then man. the cartel, the little cartel guy who is uh, kind of bankrolling the operation. Right. Francisco and then we add the character. Yeah, then we add the most 90s character to be in the the macho kind of predator style casting of this movie. The little John Leguizamo, uh, you know, understudy, whose entire goal in the movie is just to get a dress and prance around. Yeah, he's like pulling a full two Wong Fu. Yeah, that was I really it's, enjoyed that. I was like, okay, so this has not aged exceptionally gracefully. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of there's Nick- that part at the end when he gets into the tussle with Nick Cage and Nick Cage just looks at him and fucking bitch slaps him in the face. And I was like, oh, the 90s. Yeah, there's like, oh, the 90s. <laughs> there's a like like between 95 and 97. There's a whole rash of like mega action movies that have these like, man, the 90s were a great time where no one judged anyone. Oh, wait, they judged the shit out of everyone and goes, shut up. Are you not white? Forget it. I don't care what you think. Like, that's literally <laughs> that is the 90s right there. Like especially in filmmaking like like the the fact that we got into the 2000s and Nicolas Cage got away with slapping the shit out of women or punching women in the face is absolutely amazing absolutely bar none the most amazing thing about Nicolas Cage's career but I yeah he has a very checkered off-screen history which is not the focus of this month (laughs) oh no oh no I was talking about the wicker man (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was talking about him actually having domestic violence charges against Oh, yeah, I was not talking about that. I was referring to the Wicker Man. Right. I digress, though. Back to the Con yeah, so the, the Carson City uh, moment is fun, right? Yeah. This is kind of where we finish setting up the cast. This is where we set up uh, – the whole thing exists for the one character choice, right? 
that Nick, well, I mean, it's one of those weird, they have a lot of these scenes that are just clearly serving like some very important functions. The whole movie functions on this. No one's going to buy this. How do we explain this? Right. So there just happens to be a sandstorm. Nicolas Cage could get out, but doesn't. And then we got to get rid of their way to easily track the plane. So we accomplish all those. And then we get back on and we start having more fun. Right. So to me, the, the most fun segment of the movie happens at Lerner Airfield. Oh, God, dude. Well, it's the best. Oh, wait, I, I skipped one because we do we do have this great moment where he has to go down into the the underbelly of the plane. Yeah, Something's you, you causing the, really, the landing gear to drag. You miss like. And he the, writes a note on Dave Chappelle's dead body and kicks him out of the plane. <laughs> it is so fucking awesome over the. It's such like a silly over the top thing. Like when his corpse hits that car. Yeah. His head doesn't explode. There's no. not guts everywhere. Somehow we he, just are, are led to believe that he lands there. Like, you know, uh, what's his name in the Avengers? The Hulk. <laughs> yeah, right. So the cops can just show up and easily understand all of this message. And that Cameron Poe knows the federal agent's name and number. But you're like, it doesn't matter because it's so awesome. And that might be the most con air scene in the movie. I think it's between that and uh, put down the bunny. Oh my! Okay, so him in the bottom of the plane. I said, "Put the bunny in the box." Put the bunny in the box. Awesome. This leads to a fight because now the guy's gonna out Poe, right? right. His, his whole ruse is up. So they have this awesome under the plane fight where he just stabs this guy through uh, a pipe that is sticking up, very spike like. Right. And then he gets up, and Nicolas Cage with no fucking emotion, very Keanu Reeves. Why couldn't you have put the bunny in the box? <laughs> And it, oh my god it's the best delivery in the entire movie short of jonathan short of johnny malk saying welcome to con air this is my favorite line delivery in the entire movie he just li- i do it's amazing they're all around the bunny though because the other best line in the movie to me is where john malkovich is standing at the back of the plane with the gun to the bunny's head oh yeah and he's like freeze or the bunny gets it <laughs> it's so fucking funny but we are led to believe that that would matter like right. the bunny is as the same of a hostage to Nicolas Cage as anyone else that he's trying to say <laughs> it's so fucking funny but there are it. so many great lines right like when Ving Rames is selling them on what they're gonna fly to Mexico we talking umbrella drinks and dirty ass freaks <laughs> I was like, awesome sure sure let's do it there's, I mean, the lines in general in this movie are just like, I, oh God, it's just, it's amazing. Like there's so many things that happen in this movie that are just, they're nineties made action movie fuel, but you're right though. Like it all leads. I love that Lerner air force base scene. It's the best. I mean, it's the action set piece of the movie. Like that's where they spent all the money. Yeah. It's amazing. Like it's this high octane explosive, like walk through fire moment for fucking Nicolas Cage. But then you have Garland Green who just like walks away and has this like little moment with with that little girl. Like it's you're like, oh my God. Are we gonna see right. something really fucked up in a nineties movie? I really don't want to see this. But okay, we, we have to stop this, right? Because it is kind of this character oasis moment, right? Some of them have jobs to do. Right. Sorry. But like the dress guy just runs and looks for a job. Nicolas Cage is just looking for a syringe. Right. Uh the green moment is the most fucked up because I still want to know. I've never heard this discussed. I've never read up on it, which I should. I should, should, should. What the fuck is that girl doing in the pool? Empty pool with a fucking charred mannequin or doll. Just out in the middle of nowhere with seemingly no adults. Is that her dad who was up in the tower with his throat sliced? What the fuck is happening to that little girl? <laughs> yes. Yes. This is and one of those. The fact that Garland does not kill her, does that girl exist? Ooh, wow! Oh, wow! That's a really fascinating wrinkle for this kind of movie. Hmm. I mean, it feels like maybe that's a little too much to have a, you know, Garland having this Bergman Seventh Seal type <laughs> conversation in a pool with the kid for this movie specifically. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. But I want answers, damn it. For this movie, it's going to be very difficult to say that there's a Bergman moment for Garland Green. <laughs> this doesn't seem like the kind of film that would have that. I love that you described no, it like there, that. There's a cool moment, though, right, where where Buscemi, she asks him, like, are you sick? You look sick. And he's like, I am sick. 
And you're just like, oh, fuck, dude, this reeks of Frankenstein. Like, right? She's going to get it. Nope. But then, yeah, when she lives, I was like, that's seemingly out of character. What do you make of that scene? Is there anything else to be had? Or were they just like, ah, we have Busemi. It's cool. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. It's just. You, I'm trying to find some kind of depth and film nerd thing. Let's go, dude. You, you're, you're so right, though. Like, this totally could be this, like, like in the. I just love the idea, like, they're in the middle of rewriting, workshopping this script, and, like, they're flipping through the new pages, like, is there. What is the. Have you ever seen the seventh seal? All right, let me explain something to you. This is. <laughs> like. <laughs> I love if they had been playing chess, that would have been our giveaway. I love the idea of a rewrite and someone explaining the seventh <laughs> seal and that being the thing is like Garland Green is really having this moment with himself and he's really confronting the d- excuse me. Is this has anything to do with Nicolas Cage? No. All right. We're, we're literally it's going to be like five seconds <laughs> in the movie. Like this is perfect. I actually I'm with you 100%. I hope that this is exactly what that is. And that is the movie. Like that's this like background movie that some some writer fought so desperately to get into the film. Like that's all he wanted in the movie was this like moment cuz Steve Buscemi's so great. Like I love Steve Buscemi. We got to write him a really juicy part. I'm going to give him this weird like psychosomatic trauma sort of um peculiar uh you know hot flash of uh craziness maybe we'll get like he'll like get a moment to like redeem himself no we're not gonna do that oh i don't know right maybe like five minutes like it's amazing i I love that it's the craziest thing to me that they write a scary terrifying serial killer called the mangler get buscemi who's awesome for the role right Give him this great intro and then do not use him for the rest of the entire fucking movie. If he had killed the girl there, it makes sense why he exists in this script, right? Right. To just show you how bad everyone else is, whatever. I like to think that this movie secretly, like this is him uh, bogarting the movie, right? Very much like what happened in Leaving Las Vegas. (laughs) That The movie was bogarted from Cage. What this is, is this is Steve Buscemi facing down the ghost of his past and humanity in general. And in that moment, he makes a decision, right? Because he talks early. He's like, I could tell you that crazy is going to work 50 hours a week and working there for 30 years. When they're old, they tell you to piss off and they don't care about you, blah, blah, blah. Maybe this was his chance to relitigate his former decisions and sins. Because what do we see at the end? Bushimi escapes and seemingly is now willing to rejoin the human race and might be fully reformed when he's at the craps table. Am I making some giant leaps there? Possibly. I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe he is. Maybe maybe what this movie is all about is the true rehabilitation of a character. Maybe Garland Green's story is the one we should be paying attention to and not Cameron Poe. Perhaps this movie is truly the story of Garland Green finding his way back to civilization. <laughs> It's it's a one-man journey, like Oscar Schindler, right? Like, I've been a part of bad things. How can I do the best for the future of our species? Because <laughs> if it's not that, I still have no fucking idea why he's in this movie. No, he, I, Why do you invent a serial killer called the Mangler and no one gets mangled? No one gets mangled at all. Like, it's like he's... But yeah, I've always loved that character, so I don't under... <laughs> I don't understand anything about Connor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you pretty much just nailed the nailed the story right there. I think the important thing to remember about Conair is that no one will understand anything about Conair. That's the best part of the movie. Is it's literally these action set pieces and this barrage of just nonsense for 90 90 to 120 minutes and the entire time you are completely enthralled. Conair is peak 90s action movies because it was before we had to make like it was after the 80s where we made just like the predator and like these crazy great like action movies of just like serious like some pretty decent substance but still like buff action movie heroes then we get to the 90s and nicholas cage who by the way is just a thin dude nicholas cage is the star of a mega action movie like a mega blockbuster action movie nicholas jacked for this movie he did, but it's Nicolas Cage Jack, so it's like sinewy, wiry looking dude. Like he just he sort of looks like a wel- like he looks like a welterweight, you know? Right. Like that's <laughs> that's but that's peak nineties. Con Air is peak nineties movie. 
Like, right. there's no movie well, more the 90s that than happened Conan. to a lot of 90s, right? Where in the 80s, we had a lot of sci-fi action. Right. So you have like an alien monster to fight. Or we had a lot of kind of war action, like Rambo, things like this. Right. By the 90s, I think we'd been far enough away for conflict for a while. Well, it's right. <laughs> they're like, oh, the war thing, whatever. What were we doing? Like, the president was fist fighting Russians on an airplane. Right. Well, convicts fighting convicts on an airplane. <laughs> well, I think what it there is. There are a lot of these kind of weird action movies where they needed that high concept piece without it being just a classic monster or for an enemy to fight. I think what it is, and I've always said this, I think that a lot of the times, like, our entertainment reflects sort of our life, our, like, what's going on in the real world at the moment. So you got to think it's 97, 97, we're five years outside of, um, we're five years outside of the first Iraq war. So we're still, but like it's such an, it was such an unsatisfying ending to a war that we're so like all of us, this like collectively as a nation still have this fucking rock hard mega boner for action and they need more war. So what we do is we create this subgenre in the nineties of this like insane action movies that are just pure high octane adrenaline with like a touch of heart of gold. But mainly just like insanity, because also out of the Iraq War we got like Norman Schwarzkopf and we got you know Saddam Hussein like these people who are like true like Saddam Hussein like what a villain and Norman Schwarzkopf is like the fucking like rock hard like war hero guy like he's a big fat guy but regardless he's like a rocket like, he's going to the, he's going I to war. I only remember him as Chris Farley played him. Yeah, exactly. That's I think that's how everybody remembers him. So you have these characters and then you make these fucking huge action set piece movies where you have to come up with characters that have these like little motifs and these little things about them that make them because we all remembered people in our minds from the news as like, oh, Saddam Hussein. Well, yeah, he's a guy from Iraq, but he has this crazy huge mustache. Like that's really what the 90s action movies were about is it's not about the guy anymore. The 80s were about the buff dudes fighting the alien menace. The 90s are about the regular guy becoming an action star because they want to make sure that, you know, coming out of this, coming out of this very unsatisfying conflict, you can still find conflict at home and you can be the hero yourself. Like that's what the nineties action job is about. I think a lot of that spurned off of the fugitive, right? Like this man kind of thing. Cause even Rambo, he was already like this super soldier, right? Fighting fat cops in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> right. Softies. Which by the way so no doesn't deal. speak well for Rambo, I'm just saying. Yeah. That's right. Cool Rambo. I said it. Cool. What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, I I know I went off on a tangent there. I think there it's was a something strange I, thing. I pegged in this movie early on, right? Is it kind of reminds me of one of our modern phenomenon, which is this kind of uh the victim the victimhood that <laughs> White powerful people love to play. <laughs> there is this this uh, through line of like, don't hate me because I'm so powerful. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like even when he's telling John Cusack, because at first it's like, oh, I didn't want to kill that guy. I'm just so fucking strong and awesome. And fighting. <laughs> like, oh, I can't plead guilty and just walk away because I'm so innocent because I'm cute. <laughs> and then there's but but even like the whole like yeah I'll just walk out on my kid and daughter he tells Cusack like well I'm worried about my family tell him this and you're like no no you're not yeah. there's no honor in what you're doing there's no chivalry in any and then I it got me thinking right that scene when he's talking to Cusack I was like what is who is the audience for this decision yeah. right like it's just not <laughs> the smart or chivalrous decision I'm like oh you know who it is it's the guys who lift weights all the time go to bars hoping to get in fights, but they're always like looking for fights, but then they can justify it later. Like, Oh, well, I mean, he, he definitely said something to that girl. I need to defend her honor. Right. It's like, no one wants that except for you. Yeah. This is like, you're creating this victim complex to justify your, your insane aggression. And I was like, is, I think this whole movie is about victimhood of strong people. <laughs> That's what like it when is. John Cusack destroys that guy's car, right? Like all of the guys in this movie would have that, Midlife crisis, tiny dick mobile. Right. And John Cusack just smashes it. <laughs> right. Also, how can he run away so fast with his dumb fucking Birkenstocks on? I never understood that. Like those, those things must be glued well, to his feet. The air can get through. It's aerodynamics, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. I see. Although I guess the socks would fight that. <laughs> but no, well, I, I, I think you're right, though. You're onto something. It's victimhood of masculinity. I don't understand the audience that they had in mind for a way. And I think that's maybe one of the fascinating things is that 
in the end, everyone became the audience. I don't know anyone who doesn't like Con Air. <laughs> no. It is as absurd and dumb as movies come, but it's so fucking fun, and the cast is so good. I, it, it's just one of those, it, like, befuddles you, right? Like, there's the scene at the end when Cyrus is tied up to the ladder, right? Right. He flies off the ladder, which he's handcuffed to. Somehow his body is in perfect tact. He falls into a business, which I can only assume is a rock-smashing business. <laughs> With machines still working and no one supervising it and nothing being smashed underneath but maybe other rocks. Right. And he gets killed that way. Like, it matters that he gets his head smashed rather than just murder right. in a fiery explosion. So there are these decisions that Con Air constantly makes where I'm like, who is that for? Why right. the extra step to death? Like, was that infinitely more satisfying? I don't. But then I'm like, oh, they're killing Cyrus because he's smart. They right. got to show the brain being smashed. Whereas Nicolas Cage survives by holding the ladder and muscles. <laughs> It's true. The movie is about the victimhood of masculinity in the 90s. That's really what this movie ends up being about. There's no doubt in my mind that you are onto something with that. There is serious, like, it's about, like, like there's masculinity and then, like, Diamond Dog, Cyrus the Virus, like, Cameron Poe and Garland Green and Oh Baby they're like the normal masculine dudes and they're being they're being victimized by this like toxic masculinity from the 90s it's like leftover you know it's like yeah. oh man i Get watched woke conair yeah conair is very woke it's very interesting because that's why the bunny is so important that's what it is the bunny is innocence the bunny is this metaphor for <laughs> the modern american man of the 90s is the pink bunny that's exactly what that's, it is that's that's the totem for us that's the movie that's what Whereas the movie in the is. 80s, the totem for the American man was He-Man. Con Air. In the 90s, we felt reduced to a pink bunny. Con we didn't Air, know our place in the world. Con Air is a, Con Air is the, a movie about Nicolas Cage saving the modern, modern American male from the toxic masculinity coming out, of the, coming out of the Iraq War. That's what this movie's about. But Right. And one step further, at the end, he gives the now tarnished bunny, right? Living in this man's world. Gives it to his daughter, right? The promise of the future, where all men will be pink bunnies. Oh my God, we have cracked this thing Although wide I open. Say, I, dude, this is a Bergman level film. This, this is, is yeah. Deep as fuck. There's some shit going on. Not only that, Garland Green finishes the movie, a free man, gambling, living his best life. That's what it is. It's also notice this though. He's the only character in the movie who got the umbrella drink and the dirty freak. Oh, wow, you're right. So what you're saying, I mean, Pretty good. by that estimation, Pretty good. then what it is, is it's okay. Like you can get out of your toxic masculinity. You just have to surrender yourself to the pink bunny culture. I like it. Right. It's also my other favorite thing from this movie is that at the end of the movie, uh, Nicolas Cage, 100% rewarded for killing people in self. Yes. By the way. Big problem I have with that. So apparently the legal system that indicted him for defending his pregnant wife, totally cool with him murdering other convicts <laughs> and stealing police cars to go kill more people. Right, yeah. Totally uh, also the fact that they didn't shoot down the plane. It's so funny because they think that decision makes John Cusack the good guy, but he might be the ultimate villain at the end of this movie. I think so. How he many caused fucking mass people died when that, when that plane Yeah, <laughs> the Vegas Strip? If anything, what this movie should have been is John Cusack getting arrested and sent to jail at the end, setting up Con Air 2. Nice. But, yeah. you know, we're the only ones with that kind of foresight or hindsight. The path as to Poe. That's that could have been the movie, The Path to Poe. Path to Poe. Ooh, Conair Two, The Path to Poe. I like that. Yeah, it's Conair Two. It, it. We were a little worried doing this review because it's like, how do we talk about this movie without just being like, oh, remember that? Because <laughs> that's what this movie is. It's it's this never ending. It, it plays as almost a trailer yeah. for the entire movie. I mean, this is the '90s equivalent to like B movie Schlockfest. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just, it's so many people that are so good at their craft and so impressive while delivering what is just undeniably one of the dumbest stories, but yet never fails to be captivating and interesting. Like, that's what I can say. As dumb as this movie was, and I was like, what is happening? I was enthralled. And not by the action set pieces, but just by watching these characters exist in the same spaces. Yeah. It... It is, I mean, this is 
we this is the name of the show, right? The Film Alchemist. We always talk about I to this day I still don't understand the formula for making Con Air. No, right? I know. Like like this movie was like a Gary Busey away from being a never seen VHS tape. <laughs> yes. There if there had been a Busey in this movie, there's a good chance we would have never seen this. Like, there's just no Imagine doubt. a Busey as Cyrus the Virus or anything like that. This movie's never seen. No. It's insane. <laughs> this movie goes through like but, this movie goes to a test screening. People are like, what the fuck was that? Jesus. Yeah, and granted, Busey was in a lot of big action 90s, but Huge. Seagull movies. You can get away with that in Seagull and stuff. Right, right. And even a Die Hard. Yeah, he survived some big franchise. That's weird. But no, it's it's like it's this fucking insane movie. I honestly have never met anyone who would tell me they don't like Con Air. Yeah. No. And I think that's the brilliance of the movie is that while kind of being this insanely dumb parody of a genre with but through Nicolas Cage, they find the perfect guy to just perfectly deliver this joke. I mean, this is as comedically good as Raising Arizona in some ways. Oh, absolutely. He perfectly hammers the humor of this movie home. Yep. Without playing it as like The Office, right? Where he looks down the lens and winks or whatever. Right. No, there's... It's, it's a masterful balancing act. There's nothing in this... It's interesting. Like, the entire movie is winking at the audience, but literally no one <laughs> in the movie is doing that. Like, everyone believes what's going on inside the film. Like, there's no time... Even Garland Green, who's the only person who's really sitting outside the story, no one is sitting there going, like, I can't believe I'm in this movie. Everyone believes what they're doing. And I think that's the real alchemy of it. And that's the real benefit of watching this. Because especially now. Because, look, we all look back on the 90s action era as like sort of this nostalgic. Like, oh, I can't believe they got away with that. Oh, I can't believe we did something like that. Oh, my God, that's so terrible. Like, these movies are great because they were just throw shit at the wall and see if it works. That's what was so fun about them. And that's what's yeah, so great no, about Con I mean, Air. the whole movie is just... Cage and Cusack, right? Granola hippie, southern badass, getting on cop bikes, looking at each other, and like, let's chase this down. Nicolas Cage again saying, I'm not that worried about my wife and kids, but <laughs> yeah. he united us all as Americans. It's like, we can be prisoner and bad parents. Yeah. We can be book learned Birkenstock and socks guys, but we're both going to chase down that American dream. Yeah. Other than uh, the, other than the shocking fallacy of an Alabama <laughs> army ranger being sentenced to 10 years in prison for beating guys to death for threatening this pregnant girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, other than that, I mean, the movie, as far as its era goes, makes total sense. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's just one of those movies that I'm so glad exists. Yeah. It is so much fun, and the the performances are fucking great. The action is fine. Like It's one of those weird things. Like In this action movie, that's the stuff that kind of turns my brain off a little bit. Mm -hmm. To me, I would have rather had the Air Force One version of this where the plane doesn't land and we just keep them in the tube. Yeah. Or when the plane lands, it's one time at Lerner and we never get out of there, right? We just right. sit and do this crazy fucking oasis with these characters yeah there's better pressure um, cookers for sure yeah but it, they never all the characters are just awesome yeah and it's one of those movies that while it seemingly shouldn't work and a lot of it is quantifiable stupidity <laughs> it just is movie magic man it's just a magical movie it's really now where does this rank on your nick cage list is this the top five nick cage movie to you um no really it uh, it no yeah it, it, I, I there are better nicholas cage action movies not his performance his his movies total his movies total oh i mean yeah i mean if we're talking about this isn't in my top five nick cage performances but i think it has to be in my top five Oh, Nick Cage movies. I can't think of it. Yeah. Five others that I enjoy. I mean, more I'd than say, this one. yeah, I mean, as far as movies he's in, I'd probably say it's like number five. His performance. No, it's definitely not my top five, but definitely probably number five with a bullet for me as far as like that goes. Yeah. Well, it's strange because Nicolas Cage just kind of gets lost in this movie. Yeah. He's he's somewhat inconsequential to the thing other than just being this hilarious comedic action lead yeah but this is one of the only Nicolas Cage movies I watched where I'm like I think other guys could have done this too yeah he's um 
he's almost the archetype of what we do in these movies now, right? Like this is every Chris Pratt character. Yeah, no, no, he, that's just exactly a little more visually weird. Yeah, he's. <laughs> that's a really interesting way to put that. Yeah, I mean, I guess he is like this Chris Pratt like character. Like this really. Con Air, I feel like, contextualizes Nicolas Cage in the 90s. Like, if you need to look at it, like, it's not Face Off or The Rock. I think if you need to look at a movie to understand what Nicolas Cage was doing in that era, you watch Con Air. Con Air is the, Con Air is the purpose of Nicolas Cage in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. The inversion of him just, it's, it's obviously a movie I loved. And this is what I, I, I have a hard time. I can't explain why I like this movie so much. It's just, uh, I don't know if it just speaks to my primal, like Neanderthal roots. We are like, yeah, I want to do one arm pull-ups and fucking fight for honor and diabetes. But I, I don't understand. It's just an awesome movie. I think that's um, all it is. It's just like, a sometimes fucking blast. that's the thing, right? Yeah. The ship may have holes in it, but it's filled with delicious hostess snacks. Exactly. So you're like, I'll go down with yeah, this ship. I'm gonna it's eat. Great. I'm gonna eat Twinkies <laughs> and Ho Hos while this ship goes down. I'm gonna enjoy the hell out of it. Like, again, I think we said it best at the top of the show. This movie is what Nicolas Cage is like to all of us. Like, Nicolas Cage's character in the movie essentially is us inside a Nicolas Cage story. Like we're all like he's witnessing what we all witness on a regular basis from Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Uh, it's just fun. It's just an insanely fun movie. It's a blast. Like you just took your wife to see it on a rooftop showing and she loved it. It was the first time she really everyone wanted to see likes this movie. Con Air. I had talked about it a lot and she was like, I want to see Con Air. I'm like, well, we could, she's like, okay, we're going to go do rooftop. They do this thing in LA where they do these rooftop cinema things. She's like, we're going to go do it. And it's Con Air. I'm like, is that really the first time you, you want to see Con Air that way? She goes, yes, <laughs> she fucking loved it. Like, but that's what I mean. Isn't that the testament to this movie, though? Is that, and also it should be repulsive to a lot of audience members. But everyone I know likes Con Air. It's just a likable film. It's it's it's, it's, it's this weird magic. alchemy, man. It's pure fun magic. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's it. Con Air. We've officially landed. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I think maybe we cracked the subliminal deepness that'll make this a a banger for even those most intellectual of you. <laughs> Although those people aren't listening to this show, who are we fucking yeah, kidding? Come on, watch Con Air with a friend. Share the show with them, guys. That's the best way to bring other alchemists into the fold. With their help, we always will find new things to love about the movies we already love, and hopefully find some new ones we didn't know we loved yet. That's what we're looking to do. Share us on your social media. Leave us a rating and a review, guys. It does help out so much to a young show like us. And overall, just thanks, guys. Thanks for participating. One more Cage film to go. Uh, Cage and David Lynch, Wild at Heart. Uh, that is a, a pair. That is, that is a, a pair right there. <laughs> a dubious proposition at best. Yeah. And you just got Willem Dafoe in there for good measure. Uh, it It is a fun one. I can't wait to do that to wrap up this great... Journey into Nicolas Cage. I'm stoked. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm, oh baby, Dandino. <laughs> yeah, you are. Peace, bitch! <laughs> <laughs>